Shoot, I gotta record with the swappers in like five minutes. Oh, I'm gonna be late. What are we even talking about? Social, social media and sexuality. Wait, social media? That means I can just. Ah, there we are. Much better. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism. Today, I'm joined by Sarah and Dr. Andrew Swafford to talk about the impact of social media on our understanding of sex. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. How old were you when you first learned about sex? Who'd you learn about it from? What was your experience with that? Was it awkward? Was it shameful? Was it funny? Was it just kind of whatever? What messages did you learn about sex from church and religious authority figures in your life? And were they generally positive or not so much? In an ideal world, I think we'd learn about sex from a trusted, safe authority figure, probably our parents. But for many of us, it wasn't like that at all. And for all of us, the way that we're getting a lot of our messages about information about sex these days is through social media and the internet. So today what we're going to look at is messages about sex that we've received from the church and also from social media and see what we can learn from both to help us authentically thrive as human beings. And I'm very happy today to be joined by Dr. Andrew Swafford and his wife, Sarah Swafford, who are both pretty well known in the Catholic world as uh, speakers and educators. They're widely sought after. They speak not just in the United States, but internationally. They're both published authors. Dr. Andrew is a professor of theology at Benedictine College. They have a new book out called Gift in Grit, which I highly recommend and you should get. If you don't know who I am, I am Mike Tenney, Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. I spent over a decade teaching Catholic high school theology and also trying to make it big as a rock star. And now I'm blessed to speak and lead music with thousands of people each year at events all over the place and through this show, Pop Culture Catechism. This is Pop Culture Catechism, the gospel according to pop music and movies, where we look for God's love in the media that you're plugged into so that then when we unplug, we can actually go out in the real world and live the gospel in the real world. So in this episode, what you're going to find are some real tangible, actionable ways that you can try to take all these crazy ideas about sex and purity and sex positivity and actually try to make sense of them and try to live in an authentically human way, especially as it comes to our sexuality. I want to give a special thank you to our patrons who make this show possible through popculturecatechism.com. And also I want to thank the sponsor of this episode, catholicmerch.store. You can find all the awesome Catholic swag there and all of that supports all the shows here on Awaken Catholic. I'd like to welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, Sarah and Andy Swafford. Swafford, welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. It's great to be with great you. Great to be with Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, you and I have never gotten to meet in person. Sarah, you and I met at the National Catholic Youth Conference briefly last yeah. year where you were talking yeah. and I was doing music and I was with the Catholic University group. You were with the Benedictine group and we were like sharing the same room. It was like you and us and Sarah Kroger and we were all like swapping around <laughs> in and out saying hi. And, I know. <laughs> yeah. I love big conferences like that. It's like a like a taste of heaven. Yeah. It's just like all your favorite people in one spot, and you're meeting all these new cool people. It's just awesome. Yeah, it was. And I think I think I snagged you in the the main like exhibition room and was like, "Hey, would you ever want to be on a podcast?" And you were like, "Sure." So it's taken us a few months to work it out, but I'm really glad that you guys are here. Yeah. So I yes. I I know who you guys are. Can you tell the listeners who don't know who you are a little bit about about who you are and what do you do? Yeah, go for it. Swap. You go first. Yeah, uh, so um, I'm Andrew Swafford. I uh, teach theology at Benedictine College. Um, 
yeah, kind of had a conversion in college and I had a key professor that kind of changed my life and wanted to give back um, ever since, kind of pay it forward. Uh, but we've got um, number six is on the way. Uh, so uh, teens to toddlers. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, just kind of living the dream. Yeah, awesome. we're actually recording from Andy's office up here at Benedictine because our house is way too loud to be doing that kind of stuff. So, um, but yeah, we so these, these this is all Dr. Swafford's books. I, I just look cool sitting in front of cool books. But um, but yeah, we we both had our lives changed in college through Focus. Um, we were actually fun fact. We were in some of the very first uh, Focus Bible studies. We were the guinea pig school. Benedictine was like the tester school for Focus back in the early two thousands, and so. Uh, we are just so grateful for, you know, our having our lives changed by not only Benedictine, but by Focus. And ever since college, we've just been wanting to give back, like Swaf said. Um, so Swaf teaches and speaks, and I love traveling around the country and giving talks to young adults and pretty much any age. I love high school, college, young adults. I think that it's just such a demographic that sometimes uh, gets left out, that young adult one. And so we're really excited to be with you to chat today about Tough stuff, man. It's not easy out there. No one pretends for a minute that it's easy out there. Yeah. So we love helping in any way we can. It's it's not easy at all. And this is a topic I've been wanting to talk about for a while because I've just, you know, I've I've been a chastity speaker. I taught in Catholic high school theology for a long time when we always did theology of the body and, and, and chastity stuff. And for some people, it was like the stuff that they loved and it was, it was the stuff that the kids waited all year for. Uh, but for some people, it was a really tough topic. And I know that you guys have worked in this area. You're also a married couple. So you have a male perspective and a female perspective. And Sarah, you a few years ago wrote this book called Emotional Chastity, which looked at chastity from a different perspective. And so I've, I've always kind of wanted to pick your brain on this. So yeah. when I was talking with you guys about what you wanted to talk about, and you mentioned that, let's talk about social media and let's talk about purity culture and chastity and, and, and where we sometimes get it wrong and where it, we really need to get it right. And what is the authentic mm. Christian and Catholic message? Cause there's a lot of people hurting. So I was just so excited when you, when you brought this topic to me. So I'm excited to dive into it, uh, today. And I actually did a little bit of social media hacking. Um, I don't know if that's the right term for it, but I, so I, I tend to lean like pretty conservative for the most part, at least socially conservative, but I tend to follow on social media, some more progressive Catholics, some more left-leaning Catholics. My graduate school that I went to was a little more progressive. And so I, I try to keep, keep my ears in, 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 in all different type parts of the Catholic world to just kind of see what are people talking yeah. about? What are people struggling with? And so I actually reached totally. out to some people on social media and I was like, okay, if you had a chastity speaker that you felt had like a bad message or you've been harmed by, by, what is often called like quote unquote purity culture. And you feel like you have trauma for that. Or you feel like you have some bad experiences from that. Send me your questions. And man, did I get a ton of questions? So we're going to, we're probably not going to get to all of them today, but we're going to try right. to get through some of them and uh, try to try to listen to them in a way that is not just not, not dismissive to re- to really take them seriously. Um, but at the same time, like I really believe that, that if we really understand what the church is saying, that it really does have the secret to kind of unlock our hearts. So anyway, before, before we get too, too much Amen. into purity Amen culture, let's talk about social media. So from Wikipedia, social media says, it says that social media are interactive technologies that facilitate the creation and sharing of information, ideas, interests, and other forms of expression through virtual communities and networks. It was often called back in the day, internet 2.0, where the internet went from just something that you consumed to something that you participated in. And now there are yeah. about 5 yeah. billion social media users in the yeah. world, about 60% of the total global population. And it's where we spend 
a lot of our time. So let's just talk about like, what is the good and what is the bad of social media? What do you, what do you see? I think this topic is so interesting and I appreciate you bringing it, you know, to us and uh, bringing it up because I think that it, it's kind of like one of those questions that a lot of people talk about, but no one really has answers for, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, that's, you know, you can sit around and like chat about it, but it's really hard. I, we were asked on a podcast recently, if we could sit down to coffee with a saint, what, what saint would it be? And what would be our question or something like that? And, um, I was like, dude, I'd want to sit with like JP two, St. Paul, St. Maximilian Colby and be like, how the heck would you use social media? Like, that's like one of the questions that I would really, cause you know, these like master evangelists, like they would, they would use it. Yeah. I think I really do. I think they would use it. But then you also just get in, you get into social media and you're like, man, this is like the devil's playground. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like, you know, I see so much good in it. And then I see so much struggle, you know, and, and when you work with young adults, you know, it's just, it's, there's so many addictions and battles going on that surround this. But then there's also this beauty of, you know, like I have a group of uh, young adults in Croatia that literally watch everything that we do on YouTube. They stay up all night to watch focus conferences. Like, you know, they have nothing else and they, they really value having social media. It's like the, what feeds their faith. Mm -hmm. So it's like, man, it's so easy to want to just knock it around. It's, it's easy to want to flush your phone. It's also easy to be like, I can't live without this thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so just, just to kind of, you know, throw that out there in the beginning, we're not haters. We're not social media haters. We're not phone haters. Mm -hmm. We're not, I mean, technology has a place. Absolutely. Um, I, I'm a big Dave Ramsey fan. He always says, if you don't control your money, it'll control you. Mm -hmm. And I think if you don't control your emotions, they'll control you. And if you don't control your phone, it'll control yeah. you. I think it falls in that same category of it's morally neutral, but it is how you use it. Mm -hmm. Amen. Like I really do think phones and social media fall into that category. No, I mean, well said. How you use it in my uh, moral theology class, I give a 48 hour media fast. Um, they can, you know, no, no, they can make phone calls, but they can't text social media, stuff like that. And it's, it's just designed to kind of step away and just see what kind of power it has over us and kind of reflect on that experience and then, and then go back to it, right? So it's not so it's not evil. It's good. It can connect us with a lot of things, uh, but you maybe don't know how immersed you are in it until you step away, kind of just mm -hmm. unplug a little bit. And they, they they complain when they get the assignment, but they, um, they often are thankful for doing it. Yeah, it's something I find I have to do periodically. Oftentimes I'll do it during Lent. But then it just sometimes I, I kind of get this, I don't know what, how to, what to call it, like an itch or like a kind of a restlessness or a listlessness where I just feel like I get this itch to check my phone. And so I was like, I'm going to go, you know, so I just delete Instagram. I delete Facebook. I delete the things that are like my time sucks and my brain sucks. And I just go without it right. for a few days until right. I kind of reach equilibrium again. And sometimes it's a, <laughs> a day. Sometimes it's a couple of weeks. Sometimes I got to post something for, for my work or the podcast or something, but it's always a good way to like reset myself. So I found, I found as an adult, I've had to kind of set these practices in my life, yes. like, okay, I have certain limits on certain apps that like are going to tell me, oh, you've been on this for 15 minutes. You've been on this for 45 minutes. Oh, this is how much time you spent on social media this week. This is how much time you spent on the phone this week. Um, and so kind of trying to build some of those habits the same way you might with, you know, your relationship with food, you know, you, you might have certain ways. Like I, I am just not going to buy Doritos because I know if I buy Doritos, I'm going to eat the whole bag. So just when I go to the store, I don't yeah, buy Doritos, you know, so I'm just not going to have that app on my phone. I'm not going to have Twitter. I'm going to have certain, certain privacy settings set up or, or, or things like that. So I think it's, it's a part of modern holiness and part of modern ma Christian maturity to have that as a discipline, you know, in our lives. Yeah. And there's, I saw a, a study that, the earlier you get 
a smartphone, especially for young women, like the, the greater like mental health issues arise. And so like, I know like for my daughter, she's not getting a smartphone <laughs> at least until she's in high school. And even then it's going to have, it's going to be like driving a car, right? I don't just give her a car and send her off. It's going to be like, all right, well, first we talk about it. Then you're going to get your learner's permit. Then you're going to have like supervised <laughs> hours. And then you're going to have like a provisional license. And then like, maybe when you're 18, you're going to have built and developed the skills under supervision where now you can fly free, you know? And yeah, um, right, right, right. Where, you know, we wouldn't just give a car to a 12 year old, but a lot of times we give a phone to an eight year old, you know, and there's, there's, there's dangerous stuff. On yeah. There, so, yeah. yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. And to answer your question, you know, when you were talking in the beginning about like just social media and, and purity culture and chastity and, you know, all this stuff, you, it was funny when I travel the country and, you know, I always joke with people, like I'll go into a high school with a thousand high school students and. I'll walk, you know, I'll park my car in the visitor parking and I'll go in and I'll sign in and I'll get my little visitor patch and badge and I'll turn around and there's like a poster on the wall and it's like, picture my face, it's like Sarah Swafford, 2 p.m., chastity speaker. It's like, shoot me, somebody shoot me. Like, why in the world? Like, nobody wants to do this. Like, I mean, I just always like, please, I swear I'm cooler than that. You know what I mean? And 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 so like, whenever we talk about chastity, you know, I... I know that that's a difficult topic for a lot of people because I think some people think that a lot of people like, like I named my book emotional virtue because people, when they hear emotional chastity, they were thinking like they met that I met emotional abstinence, mm. like don't have any emotions at all. Yeah. And really, you know, when you're talking about chastity, it has, it's such a loaded word. Um, and, it, and it has so many negative connotations to it for a lot of people. Um, I too follow people on social media that, you know, are all across the spectrum and, there are so many people who have walked away from the church because of dif different things that um, have been said, have been not said well, said well, not, you know, they di disagreed with, you know, things like that. But the reason why I, I still go back to the chastity message and the reason why, you know, even though sometimes I'm like, Lord, please give me a different topic. Um, but the reason why I, I still just, I will sit here with you and anyone else and say, chastity is like probably the number one thing that keeps people from our Lord. Mm. Um, I just, I truly believe that it's, you know, it's so easy for the devil to poke into old wounds, shame, fear, uh, just mistakes of the past, thinking that you're damaged goods, thinking that you can't be redeemed. Um, again, disagreements with sexual teachings, not understanding, not knowing where people are coming from, not, not, you know, getting the full me message, not getting the right message, yeah. having someone, bully you into like thinking that this is the way it has to be someone scaring you um you know don't have sex because you're gonna get an std or get pregnant like that message does not work um so i think i'm with you sloth and i are so with you it's just it's such a delicate dance and social media is an interesting place for chastity mm -hmm. um it's an interesting place for for that topic it's really it's difficult um and the hard thing about chastity is it takes i mean I sometimes people be like, uh, can you give a talk? We got, you know, 32 minutes. I'm like, what do you expect me to really say in 32 minutes? Yes. You know what I mean? Like uh -huh. I, I can't get to every single part. Cause again, it's a lot of, it's about a tone. It's about healing. It's about getting someone to understand that this is not like a bunch of rules and regulations. Like chastity actually isn't a bunch of no's. It's a huge yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, to like God's swing for love, but that takes like four and a half hours to, to explain. Yeah. I'm kidding. But like, you know what I mean? So I, I just, I'm so with you on all of this and I'm sorry we don't have four hours to talk about it, but I think getting to the nuts and bolts of, yeah, people have been, people have been turned off mm -hmm. by the chastity message. People have been misunderstood. They, they, they've misunderstood the point. I don't blame people for being confused. Mm -hmm. 
um, and shutting it down. Or even being, just, even being it, angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, being angry, but but it but it it doesn't mean we can't not talk about yeah, it. Amen. Right, it doesn't amen, mean that amen. it's not important. It is literally the linchpin to so much for our faith and for our our hearts and our virtue and our healing. It is huge. So I just I'm grateful to you for bringing up tough topics. Thank you for letting us I, talk. I, about I love it. what you said about you know you could sit here for four and a half hours. Like I, I feel like when I when I was a high school teacher and I taught an ethics class for twelfth graders, they come in on the first day and day one what they are itching to talk about is homosexuality, <laughs> transgender stuff, abortion. Totally. And, and I make them wait until like March to touch that stuff because we, we start totally. the beginning of the year with like, well, how do we even know what's good? And how do we even know what's bad? And then we look in our hearts and like, well, who am I? And, and like, what is the human person? And then when we finally get into like applying all this stuff, we start Amen. with um, the body and like the body matters. And this is why we care for people. This is why we care for the poor. And this is why we care for the environment because God incarnate, God is incarnate in this world. We're not just a spiritual religion. We're a physical and a spiritual religion. And like, once we get through all that stuff and like why we care about immigration and racism and all that stuff, then it's like, okay, well, because we care about the body, this is why also why we care so much about sex. And it flows perfectly out of like, this is why we feed the hungry and clothe the naked. It's the same reason we wait till marriage for sex. It's the same reason because we care about the body and the body affects our soul and our body and soul are so intimately connected that in loving the body well, you are loving the soul. And when you're not treating the body well and disrespecting the body and degrading the body by any means, you're also degrading the soul. And so I I often Mm -hmm. say to my my students is like, by the end of this unit, you might not agree on the church with contraception, homosexuality, transgender issues, but you're going to see how it's consistent with everything else and a lot of other things that you agree with, like caring for the poor, being against racism, et cetera, because our, our faith is so incarnate. We believe in a God that became incarnate and took on a body and feeds us his body every day if we want it, you know, through the Eucharist. So right. um, Amen. now purity culture, chastity. Can sure. we define it? What do you guys see as the difference between when we say chastity, what do we mean? And what do people mean when they say purity culture? Yeah. I mean, so, um, chastity and I love, um, so for like Aristotle Aquinas, it's a subset of the virtue of temperance, mm-hmm. which moderates our attraction to food, drink, and sex, right? So it kind of helps uh, to not let those things take control of our lives. And an example I always love to use is, you know, you go to a Mexican restaurant, first thing they give you is a basket of chips and salsa. And if you're like me, can I get another basket, another basket, another basket, <laughs> yes. you know, three or four baskets in, the food comes out, and, you know, we might find that we are now full, right? <laughs> and so if you fill up on the chips and salsa of life, you'll miss out on the main course. And that, that has a lot of traction to it. Voitiwa, JP2, kind of adds to this and, and really sees chastity as a virtue. It's not just in relation to temperance, but a virtue that makes love possible. Mm. A virtue that frees us to love the other for who they are and not merely what they can do for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, so chastity is all about this. It's not a suppression, not a negation. It's, it, it, it's an integration where it integrates my attraction to the sexual values of the other. Uh, the, the erotic, and it takes the erotic up into the agape, up into an authentic encounter with the other person uh, as, as a, you know, as a, as a, as a person of infinite value um, and kind of integrates all those aspects of love. So uh, chastity is a virtue that frees us to love. It, 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 it liberates me from my selfishness and my desire to use the other person uh, to kind of simply love myself through my encounter with them. So number one, chastity is a virtue that frees us to love. It's not, because that's the big argument, right? Yeah. It's a foe to love. It's, and it really, it's, it comes out of this. What kind of love do you mean? 
If you mean love is simply an emotional and physical experience, then of course chastity gets in the way. <laughs> but if you mean a love that is first and foremost dedicated to the good of the other, that wants to put that first and foremost, their objective good, chastity becomes not the foe, but the prerequisite friend to allow the depth of that kind of love to develop over time. Um, and you mentioned purity culture. And this is something that kind of like you, I've kind of picked up mostly via uh, Twitter and things like that and just kind of uh, you know, hearing different kinds of people and what they say about it and, and seeing examples of it. Um, so what people typically mean by quote purity culture, uh, is not to be attitude blessed with a pure, you know, <laughs> pure heart. Um, it, it, it tends to be kind of, um, a thing with a lot of baggage. Um, yeah. and what I've, I've done surveys with my students and I think maybe a way in, um, on these kinds of issues. And one thing that my, our students from all over the map and, um, one thing that I do see occasionally um, with a good bit of frequency is this sense that, one, I was never taught the reasons for chastity. And two, even if it was like not said, the implicit message is that sex is dirty. Uh, sex is bad. Just don't talk about it. And even if that wasn't said explicitly, like the, yep. the unspoken thing was that the body and sex was not something to be celebrated, not something good. Uh, so the goodness and also the reasons behind why we teach what we teach Work. So, so the things you see in purity culture, you see like a, well, just that kind of thing, this kind of, um, yeah, um, hyper fixation on don't, 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 without a clear communication of the why behind it. And, and really the kind of the unsaid thing behind that is it's really bad and dirty, so don't talk about it. Um, and then it, there's a whole other, you know, host of things that kind of tend to go with it. Um, whether it's with modesty or male and female interaction or it can get real of, ugly, real fast. An exaggerated view of men and women. Men are just sex robots and, yeah. and women are just bundles of emotion. And so we have mm -hmm. to just deal with that as, and really not calling either sex to kind of a deeper integration of our emotional yep. and physical and yep. erotic life. So I think also just to add to what he said quickly, I, cause I agree with everything that soft just said, but I also think that purity culture has changed a lot in the last like 30 years. I mean, I, I don't remember ever having a, a, a sex talk other than the PE sex talk in eighth grade. You know what I mean? Like I remember um, being at a, an NCYC in high school um, and Mary Beth Bunachi had a book called Real Love and it was a Q&A thing. And I was like reading these pages and I was like, I have never heard any of this stuff before. Like it was crazy. And so I think like, and again, we're, we're like in our 40, you know, early 40s. So I think that the chastity movement has has definitely come a long way in a positive way, I think, in the last like 10, 15 years. Um, and I will throw like Jason Everett, Matt Frad, myself, just some other people in that of like, hey, that didn't work. Like the whole the whole purity culture. I think that I think the Protestant um, church has it even a little bit worse than we do. I yeah, think in some places, the Catholic so. um, Catholic chastity, I think, is actually has a leg up like a lot of the wounds that i see from the protestant that i see a lot of people coming out against some of some of what was kind of put out there in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s um you know really feeling like they the shame and the guilt and the like you're going to hell if you you know i mean it was real strong and i think it i think that the catholic church has so much beauty and we have confession we have you know ways to like again heal coming back from it you know and coming out of things and shoot man it is messy and i think that um i think purity culture has a lot of baggage like sloth said i think it's it's something that really needs to be redeemed there's a there's a couple things you said that i want to highlight first andy you were talking about uh carol wotiwa who then became john paul ii or pope two popes ago who wrote 
something called the theology of the body. And it was written over years. Every week he would get out on, come out on Wednesdays and give an audience and talk about sexuality that is good. And I think that's one of the reasons why Catholics, we do kind of have a little bit of a, of a leg up and, and maybe the harms and purity culture haven't affected a lot of Catholicism as, as, as much as they have in some of the evangelical church. Although certainly that's, you know, we, we got our own issues. Um, but right. just that idea that sex is positive. And I love that you, you took it back to, to Aristotle and Aquinas that chastity is, is centered on temperance, this idea of this golden mean where, you know, a lot of times the example I would use is, you know, you want to be brave, but you don't want to be rash where you're reckless, you know, but you also don't want to be cowardly. The virtue is found, found in doing things at an excellence in the right amount, not too much, not too little. And chastity is, is, is part of that. And I think so much of what we see with purity culture is that is what, what is often called the vice of, um, Oh, what's the word? Uh, it's like, it's like a lack. It's like the, 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 the disability. Yeah. The disability. So it's insensibility. Insensibility. Yeah. So it's, it's like a repression and John Paul II spoke against that too. It's not a puritanism. It's not a sex is bad. It's not a, no, we don't talk about it. It's not just the the shame and you're going to go to hell. But then if you go, I think the culture has reacted against that. Even Christianity has uh, in some ways reacted against that and gone to what they call like sex positive, but what um, has often become a hookup culture where anything goes, whatever I feel is good and shame is always bad, 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 bad. And what theology of the body and and Catholic teaching is trying to do is trying to say, no, we don't want to overly shame ourselves, but yes, there are some things that are shameful and hurt and hurtful and will hurt you. And yeah, those are sins and sins can lead you to hell and separate you from people and God. But at the same time, this is a beautiful thing. It's, it's, it's not wrong Mm -hmm. because it's an evil thing. It's wrong because it's a good thing that's been twisted. And so we don't want to go so far where we're indulging and then we become a slave to it. And so finding this golden, this golden mean, this, this temperance where we're able to love people in a way that is authentic to their dignity, where we're not repressing the pleasure. We're not repressing our desires. We see our desires properly ordered. And that for me is the vision of what I've found in theology of the body in the, in the Catholic church and what has been like allowed me as a young man to navigate this crazy world and uh, uh, me and my wife and our marriage to navigate things. And it's just, it's just this key that's kind of unlocked our understanding Amen. of the world. But I know for a lot yeah, of people, it hasn't been that way. So I want to get into some of these questions and see if we can, um, uh, speak to some of these questions and these objections that some of our uh, more progressive leaning Catholic brothers and sisters have have brought up to us. You guys game for this? Yeah, for yeah. sure. All right. So uh, the first I, I've I got so many I've tried to like put them into topics. So the, the first topic that came okay. up is just like how do you take it when people say that chastity talks, purity culture, purity messages, sex messages that they receive from the church caused them harm, and how should the church? change and is there anything that maybe you or or i have preached in the past they're like i wouldn't teach it that way anymore i wouldn't teach these things anymore like where does the church need to kind of accept responsibility for teaching things the wrong way or the wrong things and how how can we change what needs to be rehabilitated yeah i mean uh, when i've uh i I followed a number of conversations like this and and i i listen I, i i really really listen and take to heart um and again, often in non-Catholic circles, but who kind of came up in a purity culture and were really feel like they were traumatized by it and harmed by it. Um, a, a way that I've, I've also seen it, uh, again, I think this affects 
I think what you said is right. Like there's a lot of, so there's a, you know, it can be a puritanical culture and then our culture responds against this with this kind of hedonism. But then I think it's easy for Catholics and Christians to kind of over-respond the other way in our current climate. And I just maybe give you another way that I've, I've seen this come up um, and I've heard this, you know, anecdotally from various people over the years. Um, you, you grow up thinking it's bad, 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 bad. And then all of a sudden we're getting married and, and like, like a real, like almost culture and conscience shock of, for the first couple of months of marriage. Like, how do I reckon with the fact that this is now supposedly good? And, and, and they sort of know it up here, but they don't know in their heart, yeah. you know, in intellects, but they're not in their heart. So I, I listen, I listen very attentively when they talk about uh, how it's harmed them. Um, I, I, I do think, I don't think it's a matter of like, um, it's more of a how. Uh, how was it presented than it, than it is the substance of the of the what? Now, maybe it is. It depends on, on our context. Um, but I, I do tend to hear it was presented, as, as we said earlier, bad. I wasn't given the reasons for it. I wasn't given this message of chastity as a liberation, like a, something that's going to free me to live a fuller, more flourishing human life and human love, uh, but something that I was just supposed to do almost in a kind of a voluntaristic setting uh, just because, because God said so, because I said so. Uh, and that just that just doesn't work. It doesn't work raising kids. It doesn't work in the faith. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 you know, what have I changed? I mean, I, I, when I had my conversion in college, um, you know, and this is when like Joshua Harris was 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 all the rage and, and, and like the I kissed dating goodbye. Uh, I probably was more friendly to that back in the day, uh, certainly than I, than I would be now. Uh, I, you know, and, and again, he's had his own story and his own, um, you know, changes of late. But um, it, I mean, I, I, at the time, I saw it as well intentioned. Um, but I, I, you know, there's a need. I mean, we we need people need to date each other, right? We with my college students, they they need like good people need to hang out. They need this is how human relationships start. They need to you need to flirt. You need to right. So um, yeah, we have to avoid the excesses of the culture. Yes. But if we just kind of stand on the sidelines, what's going to happen is like, no, nobody's going to get married. And we're just going to be like, gosh, um, what happened? And, and we're sort of like missing out on the kind of natural gravitational pull that actually brings these things together, then is taken up in divine love and TOB and all that kind of stuff. But if we, we, we can't suppress the natural uh, to such an extent that it's not integrating it, but actually like kind of, you know, uh, cutting off of the past, the way these things kind of begin, you know, yeah. boy meets girl. Right? I, I, I love, I love that you told people to flirt. I'm, I'm not sure I've ever heard somebody talking about chastity and Catholic perspective, encouraging people oh, to flirt. Yeah. But I think, I oh, think I love it. that's part of it, right? Oh, yeah. But just like I was talking about with the phone in the car, like interactions between young men and young women, like that's something that parents should be involved in in coaching. Like from the time, you know, they first start to show interest, like what's appropriate for a middle schooler in there and when they have a crush on a girl, what's appropriate for a high school, what's appropriate for a college student. And if you just say, no, you're not dating until you're 21 or whatever, you know, like, I think there's some missed opportunities there for while this child is in your house to be able to shepherd them and show them like, this is what appropriate dating. Like, I think there's a real value to dating and flirting and yeah. So this, uh, so Sarah, go go ahead, and then uh, I have something. To yeah, add. no, I I always like. I mean, okay, so, uh, like, sure, people say I'm a jazzy speaker. I'm like, yes, that is real. Um, but at the same time, I think that what happens is, is whenever you're going to give a message, so like when I give my my talk, my emotional virtue, like high like high school talk, you know, I spend the whole first you know, 15 minutes, just like letting them know that I get where they're at. Like I understand how hard this is, and I tell stories 
you know, I just, I, I really want them to know that I'm not some prude that doesn't understand where they're at. I, I talk about social media. I talk about just like how hard it is, how men and women sometimes miss each other, like trying to understand the opposite sex is hard. And, you know, I, I do all of that. And I think it helps them to understand that like, whoa, you know, like, like sometimes one, one of this one girl was like, get out of my head. You know, like she was like, you know, she was just like, she's reading my mind and all these guys are looking at me like, oh my gosh, like she, she gets it, you know? And so I spend a lot of time doing that. And then I, I really jump into like, what is your definition of love? And, and then also what is your definition of being used? Like everyone in this room knows what it has felt like to be used either emotionally or physically. And so when you start to like, again, I don't even use the word chastity. I don't, I don't use the word. I mean, I don't use any of those words, but they, they know what I'm talking about. And so at the end of it, I, I don't even know if in my talk, I say don't have sex, but like by the end of it, it's like, oh, like this chick really sees love and marriage and sex as all really good things. Yeah. And there's like, a, like you said earlier, a prop, proper place for it. Mm -hmm. So like we love, you know, to scandalize like college students, you know, and we I mean, scandalize, you know, it's like, dude, sex is amazing. Sex is holy. Sex is sacred. Mm -hmm. We pray after sex. Like JP Chu says in his book, Love Responsibility, that the man should try to wait and climax with the woman. This is a celibate priest talking about the, the inner mingling of like two sexes. So when people come up against the church and they're like, oh, the church is prudish and they just want, you know, sex is like, you know, this bad, dirty thing to just procreate. It's like, uh, no, like mm -hmm. there's actually a lot of people out there that have written amazing books and talk about this in a way that's like sex is beautiful and holy and good. And like we, you know, we love talking about sex as like a fire and like a, if you have like this beautiful house and you have this beautiful fireplace, you know, like the marriage is this beautiful mantle fireplace where you where you know, the Lord says, like, build this house, build this fireplace, and then, like, that marriage, and then stoke it, throw that wood in there, mm -hmm. throw the fire in there, like, make sure it's burning and giving this ambiance, and, like, the church encourages this, mm -hmm. and what what we're saying as chastity speakers is, dude, if you build a house, and then you build a fire in your living room without a fireplace, you are going to burn your house down. And that is your relationship. Mm. That is your relationship with God. That's your relationship with each other. With yourself. You know, people always ask me, like, how do I know that my boyfriend or girlfriend isn't using me for sex? And we're not married, but how do I know they're not using me? And I just look at them and I'm like, I've got a lot of good answers. I don't have an answer for that one. You don't know whether they're using you for sex or not. Because until you have a ring and you stand before God and say, I want to love you and honor you. You are the one for me. You are the one I want to give my whole self to. Like that until you do that, it's it's really is kind of a I don't know mm -hmm. if they're using me for this or not. And that's what young people start to see. They're like, Whoa, okay, I felt this, 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 and that. And I have never heard that sex is holy, sex is good, sex mm. is these things that I actually want. And then all of a sudden it starts to make more sense. And, and it, again, it takes me six hours, but you know, it starts to make more sense for where we're going with this. And then I think they see like, even if they disagree with us, like you said earlier, even if, even if you disagree with the church's teachings, you have to say the church is consistent. Yeah. And mm -hmm. you have to say that the church actually has this like thread of truth that runs through all of her teachings, yeah. which is what converts a ton of people because there's a, there's not very many institutions in the world, even our government where it's like, there's this truth. And like these people, like there's this like line and they're actually consistent with it. Yeah. And I think some people are like, that is so freeing. 
And there's something really beautiful about that. There's a few things that you said that I want to hit on is one. I love that. I've often used that image of a fire is like yeah. fire is not bad, oh, but fire is very powerful. And because it's powerful, it needs to be like, you need to learn how to use it. It needs to be used well. And it, again, it's temperance. You don't want to teach your children or your teenagers an irrational fear of fire where they're afraid to start their car or go on a camping trip or, you know, have a, have a cookout or something like that, or afraid <laughs> to cook or touch a stove, but at, right. or feel guilty when they do do those things. But at the same time, you can't just be like, oh, it's no big deal. Do whatever you want to do. Like, cause you, you, you are yeah, going to get burned. It, it is powerful. And I also love that you focus so much on emotional virtue because a lot of times when people hear these messages about lust and using one another, they assume that it all happens physically. And as long as I have an emotional connection, then it's not lust. And that's one of the things that John Paul II talks about in love and responsibility, his kind of precursor to theology of the body is he t right. like his, his ver word for emotional virtue or emotional chastity is tenderness. And he says, we also have to have this temperance when it comes to our emotions, because you can absolutely use someone for the emotional way they make you feel. He calls that emotional egoism. And then the, mm -hmm. the vice of, of deficiency would be what he calls uh, somebody who is like cold and hard hearted. And he gets that from the scriptures. So, and a lot of times what happens is if you go and reject the church and go into the, to this hookup culture, what happens is you go to the vice of excess when it comes physically. So you're going into lust and you're letting people use you and you're using them physically, but because your heart has become damaged emotionally, you're emotion, emotionally, you're on the vice of deficiency. So you're overindulging physically, but you become yeah. hardened emotionally. And C.S. Yep. Lewis says, this is what the devil tries to get us to do when it comes to physical pleasure is he wants us to be so addicted to it that we can't stop. We can't say no, but we don't even enjoy it anymore. It becomes something that we're a slave to, but we, we, we can't get around. Um, what yep. I was going to say, the things that I have changed in my own teaching about chastity, a lot of it changed when I got married to a woman who was, and this, we've talked about this on the show, on our Bridgerton episode, on our Sarah Bareilles episode, on a couple of episodes where my wife has come on. Um, but my wife was not a virgin when we got married. I was. And that really, just hearing her perspective, because she did kind of grow up with kind of a purity culture mindset. I think I had a, a much healthier uh, kind of message about sex from, from Catholic ideas. Like she wasn't allowed to hang out with boys like anytime she was hanging out with boys it was like very much looked down upon um it, it just it, it it wasn't in some ways it was healthy but in, in some ways it was she she grew up with a lot of guilt and shame around sex um and so for me, when I taught it, I wanted to definitely hammer on that message that no sex is good it's this beautiful thing, but also Early on when I was younger, I would focus very much on the like wait to have sex until married, wait to have sex until you're married, and that's good, you should do that, and that's gonna save you from running into a lot of things, but also the message of redemption that like, you're not damaged goods. Like, cause I think yep. once she was Absolutely. no longer a virgin, quote unquote, however you define that. Um, she, then she was like, well, I'm damaged goods. And then the next time a guy tried to use her, it was like, well, you know, what's, what's the point, you know? And so yep. there I, I've, I've really started to I, I I never did this, but I've seen some chastity speakers who they like take a piece of gum and like have people chew it up and then it gets to the next person and they're like, I don't want to chew up a chewed piece of gum. And they're like, that's why you don't have sex because you don't want to be a chewed piece of gum. And like, oh my God. I mean, and, never seen that. yeah, and I think, and I, there, there's like the duct tape Please thing where like that. that. If you're, if anybody yeah. has ever done that, don't do mm -hmm. it ever again. Well, and so like, and I, this is, this is one that I've done that I, I don't do as, as much anymore, but like the duct tape and you put it on your arm and then you rip it off and then you put it 
it on, you rip it off, and each time it gets a little less sticky. And that's supposed to like oh. represent how it's harder to bond with people after you've had a number of partners. Mm. Um, and I think that's true, but then you don't want to give people the idea that they're like this hairy used up piece of tape. And so one that I often pair yeah. with that immediately right after is I say, you know, who wants this $20 bill? And then everyone wants it. And then I like crumple it up and I pull it out again and say, who still wants it? I say, you know, like that's, that's more how we are. Like the difference between us and the duct tape is that we can be renewed. We can be healed. It might take some work, yeah. might take some, you know, therapy, might yep. take some prayer, you know, might take some yep. life changes, but like, that's yep. the good news of Jesus Christ is we're not Amen. a chewed up piece of gum. We're not a used up piece of tape. Like we are, no matter what happens to us, we're still infinitely valuable. And so that is a message that the, the, the older and wiser I've gotten with my chastity message, that's something I like hammer home is like, yep. it doesn't matter yep. what you've done, what freaky things you've done with what freaky people, like yeah. God is, is bigger yep. and more powerful than anything you could ever do, you know? Yes. So amen, amen, amen. Yeah. No, I love this. I, whenever I teach love and responsibility, um, where he was work, that section on shame, which is, is meaty, it's dense. And, and what he's getting out there is shame <laughs> in a healthy sense that, um, it, 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 it protects myself and protects the other because it's sort of like a check on when I'm, I'm veering into either desire to be used or trying to use the other person. Uh, and when I always kind of sit there, I'm like, look, shame over a sin in the past that you've repented of, that's from the devil. Mm. If you've repented of it, you said, I don't want that anymore. Like that shame of that past, that's from the devil. What he's getting at is a, a different kind of shame that's sort of a check in the present. But just what you're saying, I, I love the image of the, the $20 bill crumpled up because you're, you're right. And it, all those stats about you know, um, sex before marriage, leading to divorce and things like that. You know, those things have a lot of, uh, of merit behind them, but I think they have a lot to do with how people are thinking about sex going into marriage. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you've lived a certain way and you've had this resolute conversion and you've wanted to change, you're, you've become a St. Augustine, you might have a lot of healing to do, like you said, but that change of framework means you're not going to be, you don't have to be a stat. Like yeah. that doesn't apply to you anymore. Mm -hmm. because you've been renewed, as you said, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Something else you guys were talking about that I think a lot of times we've tried to teach kids, and, and this happens in a lot of religious education, is we're trying to make up for what parents have not done. And so mm -hmm. like parents haven't taught their kids about Jesus. So they send them to Catholic school or they send them to religious ed and they should do those things. But the primary way that they learn faith should be in the home. And the primary place they should be learning about sex and chastity is not from Sarah Swafford or Mike Denny or Dr. Andrew, like they should be learning that from their parents. And then we can, we can add on to that. And I think yep. because it's only talked about in 45 minute assembly, one night at my youth group here, maybe again later we'll talk about it. And instead right. of like mom and dad modeling healthy affection and flirtation, talking with their kids about dating and what's appropriate. And so Amen. a lot of times my message, like I want to talk to the parents and be like, this is how you have these conversations. Not one sex right. conversation once, not the sex talk, but like, how do yeah. you make it part of the culture of your home that yeah. sex is something that's normal and okay to talk about? And yes. how do you get your kids to, to trust your voice on that as you have a lot of conversations about it and they're listening, even yeah. if they say they're not, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Andy, Andy always surveys, um, his class about this stuff just because it's fun to have college students and we we do a lot of uh, like parenting talks or we'll do like marriage talks and stuff and um we hang we have two thousand college students that live across the street from us here at benedictine and one of the questions we like to ask college students is what did your parents do well and what do you wish they would have done differently and then we like i mean obviously we use it in our own parenting but we also use it in our talks and one of the things that andy and i are always blown away by is how many students again coming from really great Catholic families, you know, like it's, I mean, we have some amazing students, but how many of them are like, we've never talked about sex. Like my parents 
never talked about it. It was like, go find the answers on your own. You know, I mean, it just was really, even in really good Catholic families, it's that people are intimidated by this. And I love what you just said. Jason Everett has this great line where he says, the sex talk isn't this one magical, nailed it, hit it out of the park talk that you just cover everything in, you know, four hours. And the kid looks at you and goes, oh, that, I get it. That's so intriguing. And I'm good now, you know, like, it's a thousand little talks over their whole life. And we have found that in parenting, you know, we have 17 year old, you know, we have 17 and 16 year old boys all the way down to I'm 38 weeks pregnant. Um, and so we, you know, there's like little conversations you have even building up to, you know, that sex talk. And then, hey, like, they, like, this is an open, you can ask us anything. Like, this is the beginning of a great conversation. And when stuff comes up, don't go to Google, come to us. Mm -hmm. Like this is where you can come and you can ask us anything. Um, and the more, the more comfortable you are talking about it with your, you know, with your significant other, with your kids, with other people. I mean, we, we joke at Benedictine, we become the couple that people find when they're engaged and they want to like talk about their wedding night and things like that. Like, like they know that those offers are, have no filter and we'll totally mm -hmm. talk to you about it. So, I mean, I just really encourage anyone out there, you know, don't, don't be afraid of this. It's, mm -hmm. It's so much better to, to read and to podcast and to listen and to learn and to kind of like figure out, okay, what is my definition of love? How would I explain sex to someone, you know, like, like what the church teaches about sex, like in my own way, like how would I explain that in the same way that all three of us have found different ways? Like I have never given a chassis talk from a scare perspective ever. Mm -hmm. That's just not how I, it's not effective to be totally yeah. honest. I mean, my, my whole way is I think everybody wants to know like, why do you think I shouldn't have sex? Like, why do you think it's better, Sarah Swafford, for me to wait till I'm till I'm married? Because if you don't have a convincing argument, TikTok does. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. you know, like I so when I go into a chastity talk, I think that's why my talks are pretty effective in, in with a lot of these young adults is because they're like, she's not naive. She yeah. knows that there's a lot of I mean, why would that why would a high school boy not sleep with his girlfriend? Like, I need to come up with a really good reason and mm -hmm. I need to be pretty dang convicting for him to understand that. Yeah. And that's where, that's where I come from. It is not like, and I'm doing this because I love you and I want like this phenomenal freaking marriage for you. If you're yeah. called to that. Mm -hmm. And I want you to have this like amazing sex life in that marriage. And they, I mean, I don't say all this all the time, mm -hmm. but like they, that's what they start to like see is this chick isn't trying to ruin my life. Yeah, She like really genuinely cares for me and doesn't want me to be used and wants me to heal. And they, and they, and they know deep within their heart that I, I'm speaking a truth that's hard. Mm -hmm. but there's truth here because yeah. a lot of them have felt the effects of the opposite. And, For sure. and like Swaff says, like sometimes I'll get kind of like nervous or oh, I'm going to go speak in front of 15,000 people on relationships. And it's like, please Lord, pick somebody else. You know, it's mm -hmm. like you get so nervous and you don't want to mess it up and trying to get the right tone and the right message. And, and Swaff always says, he's like, Sarah, what's the alternative? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to go up there and stand on stage and be like, do whatever you want. Like what you were yeah. just saying, Mike, you know, it's like, do whatever feels good, do whatever makes you happy. Like we all know, we counsel the heartbreak of that. We yeah. counsel, you know, the people who are like, I don't, I don't know who I am anymore. I, yeah. I'm so lost. I, I'm just, I don't know where God is in my life. Mm -hmm. We counsel that. So it's like, how do you get up there and say, do whatever you want? I can't say that. So yeah. therefore, what's the message I want to give? The rules are there for a reason. And they're based on the wisdom of like 2000 years of the church and 4,000 years of oh. Judaism before that, you know, like, and right. lots of other faiths around the world. Like there's, there's a real, right. like if you, if you're not careful with the fire, the fire can burn you, but if you are careful with the fire and you cultivate it, like it can, it can yeah. power the world, you know, um, yeah, something that I found was interesting. I saw a, I think when we don't talk about it, 
either in a Christian or a non-Christian perspective. That's why so many of us feel so much guilt and shame about it because we don't talk about it. And I saw a, a study the other day. A lot of times people talk about Catholic guilt. Oh, okay. Catholicism has all these rules. And so when you grow up Catholic, you grow up with like more guilt than the average person. Turns out statistically, according to the survey, Catholic guilt like isn't a thing. Like Catholics don't feel guiltier than anybody else. Like people just feel guilty about stuff because it's like the brokenness of our hearts, you know? And like, I think mm -hmm. it looks a certain way within Catholicism because we do, we do have rules and that sort of thing. But like, that we're going to feel guilty and shame about this stuff if we're not talking about it. And I, I love the way that Christopher West, who's, who's a friend of the show and has been on a couple of times, um, talks about it. He says, a lot of us were fed a starvation diet when it comes to sex. And so a lot of people reject that and go after the fast food diet. But what a lot of people haven't heard is that what real authentic Catholicism and Christianity offers is this banquet, is this real <laughs> like fulfilling Amen. banquet. And a lot of us, um, I'm quoting Stephen Furtick, who's an evangelical pastor here. He says, a lot of us go out in the world and we're playing with fire and we get burned because we were trying to get warm. And the mm, fire needs to be cultivated. Like you don't, you don't get warm from a lighter, right? But the, light, the, light, the lighter can set all sorts of things on fire that are fun and exciting, but it's not going to keep you warm, right? It lasts mm. like that, you know, and you're yeah. you can burn yourself. So, um, yeah. All right. So there are a lot of other things I wanted to talk. We kind of did a, a deep dive uh, here, but I want to be respectful of, of your guys' time. I think maybe, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll chime in on a couple of the other questions I got after I let you guys go. Um, but I know sure. you guys just wrote a new book called, uh, tell us about the book, Gift and Grit. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got, yeah, I, got, I, got emo I got emotional virtue wrong. So I wanted to make sure I got this title oh, right. Oh, you're okay. Oh, no, 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 no. You are totally fine. Okay. Yeah. We wrote a book called Gift and Grit, How Heroic Virtue Can Change Your Life and Relationships. And it's basically the fruit of the last 15 years of, of doing ministry uh, together, doing ministry as, you know, with, with all ages, really, truly. Um, and so during COVID, um, we started seeing, wow, the questions, I mean, we just got started getting a lot of questions and the young adult scene has changed a lot. Even since I wrote my book in 2015, it's just unbelievable how much things have changed in the last, you know, five to 10 years. Um, and so we really wanted to put something out there that was for kind of that, what does it look like to go all in with our Lord? You know, like kind of that question of what's holding you back um, and what some of these hard questions, things we talked about today. Um, you know, one of the chapters is, is how, you know, healing from breakups. Like, how do I move forward when I keep looking back? Um, can men and women be friends? Uh, what does sex have to do with the spiritual life? You know, like we, we basically just took a lot of topics that we sit around and talk about for hours with young adults. And we're like, we got to put this somewhere because our kitchen table isn't big enough for the whole community that we want to have bring, you know, bring in on this conversation. Um, how to make friends, how to get out of toxic friendships, how to, you know, how to really navigate the fact that I'm, you know, we love the deadly sins. Swap and I love the deadly sins, but you know, it, we, we wrote this uh, like a lot on like sloth. Like, what does it mean to just be like, like to not have meaning in your life, to have no direction, to feel lost, to feel like you're kind of just wandering. I think a lot of young adults are like, what is this even, what am I even doing with my life? And is it even worth it? You know, like this is a yeah. lot of work and so we spoke to all of that and it's, it's been cool. We've had a lot of people reading it and a lot of young adults um, are resonating with it. But then we've had a lot of adults that are like, oh my gosh, like I, like, like my mom read it in like 30 hours. Like we have people reading it in 24 hours. Cause it's That's just awesome. like, I just need this book right now. And I think it, I think it just helps you to know you're not alone. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of people are having these conversations, um, but I don't think a lot of people are feeling like they have an answer that they can 
really like take and go, okay, I want to walk with this. And we put discussion mm -hmm. questions in the back so people can do small groups. We, for all of our uh, high school teachers out there that are like, Mwah, thank you. Uh, Cause a lot of people use emotional virtue and they'll, you know, this gift and grit is a perfect high school college book for like, what are you living for? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I think especially we were talking about kind of a more holistic way of looking at chastity, that it's not this kind of thing off to the side. It sounds right. like, you know, listeners, right. if this is a topic that you're struggling with, if you're, you're dealing with some wounds and some trauma from purity culture or hookup culture or being a little, a little too sex positive, if you know what I mean, <laughs> um, it sounds right. like this might be a book that might holistically help you start that journey. Maybe read it with a friend or, or start a, start mm -hmm. a, a group together to read it together. Uh, I think it could really help you. So we'll put that in the show notes. Um, and if people want to find you guys where can they find you yeah we ended up doing we have a website that's just the swaffords.com awesome so it's a little bit easier to find all the stuff that andy does a lot with ascension and the he does a lot with the great adventure bible and mm. all the bible studies and just some amazing stuff on scripture um and morality and then you can find a lot of our you know relationship stuff and our gift and grit and all of that is there and also our email is there so if you if you have questions, if they want to email us, um, anything like that, we, we absolutely love that too. Awesome. We'll put all that in the show notes. Uh, oftentimes I ask my guests if they would pray for us at the end of the episode. Would one of you be willing oh, to close sure. us in prayer? All right. So listener, listeners, wherever you are, let's take a moment to pause. That would be awesome. Yeah, thank you. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks and praise. Uh, I thank you for Mike and his ministry. I thank you for all of our listeners, all those who are out there. Uh, journeying with you, walking this walk. Lord, we just pray that you may come into our hearts, our minds, our lives, our friendships, our relationships. Uh, we ask you to just bring healing. Uh, bring healing where we are wounded, where we are hurt, where we are angry, resentful, uh, all of the above. Help us to not be afraid, not be ashamed. Help us to come to you as we are, exactly as we are, and trust in you to make all things new. We give you thanks and praise. We, are, we give this prayer. Through Christ Jesus, our Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Mike, thank you so much for having thank us. Thank you so much. Great. Sarah and Andrew, it. thank what you so much for topic. coming to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And listeners, stick around, and I'm going to hit some of these other questions. All right, well, thank you to Sarah and Andy. Uh, Sarah, actually, <laughs> she, you know, she's pregnant, about to have a baby. Probably by the time you're listening to this, she'll have had the baby. So they had to run to a doctor's appointment. They were very nice to, to squeeze me in. So I know there was a ton of questions that you guys sent me. A special shout-out to Chris Damien, who is uh, on – I reached out to him on Instagram because I know he has a lot more like progressive Catholic followers who ha and he hosts conversations about this sort of stuff all the time. And I asked him, I was like, Hey, I'm about to like have a conversation about purity culture. Could you ask if people, you know, any of your followers have any stories or questions that you would ask like some prominent speakers about chastity um, and maybe share some of your stories. And he was very gracious to, to, uh, get some of those responses from me. So shout out to Chris Damien for, for helping me on this. He and I uh, don't often dis don't often agree on a lot of stuff, but I think he is uh, a person with a great heart who is honestly seeking the Lord and he is asking a lot of the right questions. Um, so I want to thank him, especially for his help here. So I'm going to try to answer some of these questions from my own perspective. We won't, unfortunately, we won't get Sarah and uh, Andy's perspective on them. Uh, so anything that I say, you know, if they might disagree with, who say, but this, this is uh, Mike Tenney's two cents on them. So there were some really good questions here um, that are real questions from real people. So one of the things that people talked about was the misogyny that I have seen in a lot of, not me, this is the person asking. I would want to discuss the misogyny I've seen in a lot of chastity materials with women being held to higher and stricter standards than men, that women are always tempting men, um, the implicit 
presumption that men cannot control themselves. Men are responsible for protecting the modesty of women, um, teaching that women are to blame for men's lust through modesty. Uh, and one person uh, quoted a statistic, which I'm not sure if this is true, but they quoted it. They said um, that the rates of vaginismus, which is a condition where a woman's, when, when engaging in intercourse, the woman's vaginal does not open because she's like so anxious and it like it's like a psychological block that she's not able to like dilate to like you know welcome welcome the man um and anyway she said that rates of vaginismus in christian women are something like four times higher than the rate in the general population i don't know if that's true that's what she said so she said um i don't, I don't know if there's a woman it might be he might be a she so there's clearly something to this that is causing real trauma and harm. So a lot of people brought up this idea that a lot of times purity culture and chastity message are disproportionately aimed at women. And I felt this too. And as, especially as a young man who kind of caught the, the chastity bug early, I had some older brothers that mentored me and were like at a young age, like ninth grade took me aside and were like, Hey, this chastity thing is legit. And like, here's why we're waiting till marriage. And we think you should too. And this is how you treat a woman. And so I got that message and was convicted and convinced of that message early. I also had a really strong youth group where that message came through loud and clear and some, and some mentors, um, at my, at my church, some young adults who, who talked to us about this. So I felt like I got a good message on it, but, but I often felt like then the women I would date, I dated a fair amount in high school. Sometimes they were the ones pressuring me. And then I'd go to these chastity talks where it's like, guys, stop pressuring the women. I was like, what about the women pressuring me? And I actually broke up with a girl because, you know, she was trying to go further than, than I did. And I was like a junior in high school. Um, so it, I, I agree that it often goes the wrong way. Like men are, men are often treated stereotypically. Like they just want sex, want sex, want sex. And women have to be these protected these gatekeepers, um, especially with modesty and modesty, even according to the catechism can, is it varies depending on the culture. So like skirt length shoulders, like that's not like written into church law about what you can and can't wear to church specifically. Like, yes, we should dress reverently. Um, but modesty and actually in the scriptures, modesty most often is talking about like showiness. It often talks about like makeup and, uh, jewelry. When St. Paul's talking about modesty for women, it's it, it's about being modest with, it, it's a lot more about like poverty and wealth, like not, not showing, not, not being like braggadocious, you know, and not like showing off what you have, but it doesn't mean, you know, if you're on a swim team, you can't wear a swim team suit or something like that. Like it depends on the context. There's a big difference between like, if you're, if a woman at a girl's sports practice wearing athletic shorts and, you know, a sports bra, than if you're like maybe running through your neighborhood or something like that, or if you're at the beach, it's different. Like I, like I would, I would have no problem running shirtless at the beach, but I probably wouldn't do it in my neighborhood. Um, but again, a lot of this comes down to, there's not hard and fast rules where you can look up in the back of the Bible or the catechism and be like, can I wear a shirt in this situation? No, like it requires prudence. It requires reflecting, like, why am I wearing what I'm wearing? Like, am I just trying to get people to look at me? Am I trying to get people to lust, lust after me? You know, if I show my abs as a guy or if I, I show, um, you know, more cleavage as a girl or something like that. Um, but then there also is a time and a place where you want to look attractive. So it, it's, it's, it requires some prudence. It requires some good judgment and real purity of heart of what is my goal here? What is my intention here? Um, and also what, what is the context? So like considering the people around you. Um, like if I was going to a party with a friend who I know is an alcoholic, I'm probably not going to show up with a bunch of beer or something like that, or offer them a drink in the same way. If I am with 
a woman who I know might be tempted by me. There's certain ways I'm going to act. There's certain ways I'm going to dress. And the same with a woman. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't make the other person sin your responsibility. I once, when I was learning to drive with my dad, he told me that when you come to a stop sign, stoplight, whatever, always check your rear view mirror in case the person behind you is like coming down the, coming down the hill or whatever. And it's going to hit you, then you can kind of get out of the way. And I remember saying to my dad, it's like, what's well, their job to stop? Like I already stopped. And he's like, yeah, but would you rather get hit? And I was like, no. And that's actually saved me a couple of times in accidents where I was looking in the rearview mirror and I saw somebody was going to rear end me and I was able to get out of the way. And it was, would have absolutely been their fault. It wouldn't have been my fault at all. But because I was kind of being cautious and aware, I was able to avoid that person's mistake messing me up. And so that's kind of the attitude I try to have and try to teach my female students, uh, the teens I work with and my own daughter. Um, I mean, she's six, so we haven't really talked with her about like modesty too much. <laughs> um, but you know, that's the message I am going to share with her. And my wife and I've talked about this a lot is, you know, not, it's, it's not about shame. It's about, you know, not, um, it, it depends on discerning the the relationship you have with the people around you depends on the cultural context. Um, and I think absolutely we need to not place undue responsibility on women while at the same time teaching women how to set firm, firm boundaries. Um, not that it's all the woman's responsibility to be the gatekeeper. Um, but you know, there's messed up guys out there and it's good. And, you know, teach the guys too, to be able to set some of those boundaries. I wish I'd been taught to set some stronger boundaries, um, as a young person as well. All right. So the next thing that a lot of people talked about is the idea that chastity talks don't work. Chastity education doesn't work. And why do you think it would work? Um, why continue this ministry if uh, it's a core reason why so many Gen Z people leave the church? Why not a comprehensive sex education when it has better outcomes? And wh why do you teach this when you know a lot of the teens are going to be going off and having sex anyway? <coughs> Aren't you worried about unwanted pregnancies? Aren't you worried about STDs? Why not teach them about condoms and contraception and quote unquote safe sex? I was flying to St. Louis to visit some friends a number of years ago when I was first starting teaching. I may have been teaching a year or two and I brought papers to grade. I was just going for the weekend and I had a layover in the Nashville airport. And so I'm like sitting in this cafe grading papers in the Nashville airport. And there was a guy who was on my flight. Our flight had been delayed. So like he and I kind of chatted a little bit. And we ended up sitting next to, this, to each other in this cafe. And he says, well, what are you doing? I was like, oh, I'm grading. He's like, oh, you're a teacher. What do you teach? I was like, oh, here we go. <laughs> I'm a theology teacher at a Catholic school. Oh, what are you teaching right now? Chastity. And his eyes like lit up. Okay. And he's like, oh, well, I went to a Christian school. And he launches into this whole thing. Um, he got all these chastity purity message, messages. He was an evangelical. Um, he's gay. He's rejected all that. All his friends that that heard this message, they're all just like sleeping around. And, um, you know, so basically this was his question to me is like, why would you teach this when you know it's not going to work? And I didn't really have a good answer for him. But like a lot of things, like two weeks later, I was like, this is what I should have said. <laughs> and the answer that I've, I've come to is that I think when we talk about, does it work? Is it successful? The church has a very different goals than secular society. Secular society's goals are based entirely on the physical for the most part. Um, no unwanted pregnancies, no STDs. Like those are the things you're protecting yourself from. And in recent years, it's 
um, become much more an idea of protecting yourself against assault. So making sure consent is, so, so that's where it gets out of the physical realm and more into the emotional realm as well. So that's, that's good. I think that's, that's a, a good emphasis that secular society has been um, emphasizing. But for Catholics, sex is not just physical. Sex is not just physical and emotional. Sex is physical and emotional and spiritual and psychological. It has to do not just with your body, but with your heart and your mind and your soul. And there's no such thing as a pill for your heart. There's no such thing as a condom for your soul. There's no such thing as a shot or Depo-Provera or a diaphragm or whatever for your mind. And Worst case scenario from a Catholic perspective is not an unwanted pregnancy, is not an STD. It's that you don't learn the value of your body and you don't learn what sex is really all about, which is this total self-gift to another. And you're, you're talking to a man who, you know, if you've listened to the Bridgerton and the Sarah Bareilles episode, who married a woman who had a child out of wedlock. Like, you know, like that was not the worst thing that ever happened to her. Like that, that's not the worst case situation. The worst case situation is if you become so uh, like sex becomes this transactional thing where you're using each other physically or emotionally, and you never learn that it is this total self gift, which is meant to be free, total faithful and fruitful and open to children and the foundation of the family where you unite to each other in this total self gift of your body and soul and everything like that is the worst case scenario. And so an STD, an unwanted pregnancy, like, yeah, those are real challenges, but they're not really top of the list what we're worried about. We're worried about helping people to grow in virtue. And also from a Christian perspective, like Christians have radical teachings in terms of how we treat the poor and how, in terms of sexual ethics, we have radical, radical ideas when it comes to violence and forgiveness. And Jesus says, it's a, you know, follow the narrow path, not the wide path not everybody is going to follow it. Like we're not really in it for the numbers. Um, Jesus says in the parable of the sower that, you know, a sower ran out to sow some seed and some fell on a rocky path where it sprung up, but then it died for lack of root. And some fell on, um, you know, amongst the weeds and the weeds grew up and choked it, but some fell on fertile ground and it grew 130, 60 fold. And so the message of the church is not, try to minimize these physical consequences. We're not just trying to avoid these negative things that might happen to you. We're trying to help you see the fullness of what it means to be a human made man and woman in the image of God. And it, it would kind of be like you know, teaching you to drive. We're not just worried about you wearing a seatbelt. We're not just worried about you checking your rearview mirrors. We're learning. We're worried about you becoming a good driver. Um, and so that's not a great metaphor because of course you would want to wear a seatbelt. Whereas the church says, you know, the, the, the contraception actually in some way keeps you from fully giving yourself to the other person. Um, so maybe that's, that's not the best metaphor. Uh, probably a better metaphor would be this is what if your friends were like, Hey, let's go out this weekend. We're going to go joyriding. And you're like, sure. And they're like, Oh, we're going to sit on top of the car. And they're like, what? Why would you sit on the top of the car? That's so dangerous. Like, don't worry. We're going to wear a helmet. Like from a Catholic perspective, sex outside of marriage while using quote unquote protection is like riding on top of the car on the highway with a helmet on. Yes, it's better than not wearing a helmet in terms of it might protect you from some harm, but it is far from safe. And the reason I'm not going to teach my students about 
contraception and condoms and that sort of quote unquote safe sex is because in no way is it really safe. It doesn't protect your heart and your mind and your soul. And I'd be lying to my students if I told them that it was, if they were really being safe. Um, and it's even an imperfect physical protection. So I want to teach them to get inside the car and be a safe driver, um, not just do a really reckless thing a little less recklessly. All right. So next one. You still with me? <laughs> this might be a long one. I want to talk about consent. A lot of people talked about consent. This person said, because the great majority of rapists and abusers are male, what could be said and done to address teaching males chastity? This is something, again, that I have come to change the way I've taught about it because for a long time, I was like, well, why, why do we really need to teach about consent? Because we're supposed to be teaching the kids not to have sex at all. It kind of seems like, you know, if you're doing a parenting class, you don't really need to say, hey, don't throw your kids out a window. But, you know, what if in your society, it was rampant that people were throwing their kids out of windows that might need to be part of your parenting class, even though it seems like a no duh, <laughs> you know, don't throw kids out of windows. That, that's kind of the, the perspective. I think a lot of the reason why we don't talk about sex and sexual assault a lot of times as chastity speakers and educators is because it, to us, it appears that like that kind of no duh thing. Yeah. Wait till marriage. Like, of course you wouldn't force yourself on somebody, but it is such a problem. I think it is something that we need to talk about more. Um, and the church actually has really beautiful theology on consent. Consent is actually part of the marriage sacrament. It's like the water at baptism. It's the thing that does the baptizing, the consent given during the vows to be free, total, faithful, and fruitful with one another, not just on this day, but for life. Like that consent that is given. Next time you're at a Catholic wedding, notice how many times they could say consent. So there's actually a really beautiful, robust theology of Catholic consent. And it's actually a much higher bar than what society says, because consent for society often looks like two people getting hot and heavy and the guy's like, is this okay? And the girl's like, yeah. And like, that's not consent. Okay. Because what makes consent real consent? It has to be informed consent. You have to really know what you're getting into. Like right? when, like on your phone, when you're getting an update and you have to click, I agree to the terms and conditions, but you probably never read them. Like that's like what most people think consent is like in, in terms of sexuality, like they're not really getting to know the person. You don't really know who you're bonding yourself to. And so there's some sense in which all sex outside of marriage is non-consensual because it's not informed consent. You don't really know that person until you've dated them and been engaged and gone through married prep and stood up in front of all your family and friends in the church and said, no matter what in good, in good times and bad and sickness and in health, I'm going to love you forever, no matter what. Even if you get hit by a bus walking out of this church, I'm still going to love you, um, even if you're, you're in a wheelchair from then on. So there's a much higher level of consent. And I um, heard a, a secular um, person talking about this the other day. She said, this was on Instagram, she said, five no's and a yes is still a no. So she was sharing a story of, and, and trigger warning if you, if for, uh, for sexual assault, we're going to talk about sexual assault here a little bit. <clears throat> um, she said she went to visit her boyfriend one time in college. They were going to different schools and he really wanted to have sex and they'd had sex before. And she wasn't feeling it. She was like, no. And he kept pestering her. He said, she said, no. He kept pestering her. She said, no. He kept pestering her. She, she should know. And like, finally she was getting like so worked up or whatever. And like, he was pressuring her so much. She was finally like, Yes. Okay. And so they start having sex and like, she just starts crying and he's like, Oh my gosh, what did I do? Or what would I do? And like, she, she was like, 
Like it wasn't a real, yes, you just like wore me down. You know, like it was like, I said, no, I said, no, I said, no, I said, no, I said, no. And she said like, I, I believed I was, I was raped that night. And it's not like a dragged, you know, through an alley sort of, sort of rape that we often like picture in movies or something like that. But it was kind of a emotional manipulation of you came all this way. You're staying with me in my dorm room. And I feel like so many women and men, because it can go both ways, have had quote unquote consensual sex that was really highly manipulated and really highly pressured when maybe somebody was drunk, maybe somebody didn't feel comfortable, maybe somebody just kind of froze up in the moment. I think that happens a lot of times. And so that's why our church in its wisdom knows that a lot of times when it comes to consent, it's not a few words. It's not a word whispered in a moment of passion. It's something that you discern a call to and say, yes, I want to give my life to this person. And you stand, and, and the difference between the consent of marriage and the consent of like hushed in a dorm room or in a back room at a party is so different because it's not just like, yeah, I guess this is okay. Or, or even, even more than that, maybe the girl just doesn't say anything at all. And the guy just keeps going and she doesn't stop her or, or she doesn't stop him or vice versa. Again, it could be the guy pressuring the girl, the girl pressuring the guy. Like that's not real consent either. Compare that to husband and wife on their wedding day. They've discerned this. They've gone through marriage prep. They stand up in front of everyone they love and in front of God. And they promise to each other and they make a vow to each other. That's real consent. And we applaud it. We like spend thousands of dollars to celebrate that. And we should because it's beautiful. It's not something secretive that's, that, that, that's whispered or breathed breathlessly in a back room somewhere. Like that's not real consent. And I think the more we can teach that message to young people is like, that's, that's not real consent. Real consent is the sacrament of marriage. When you give yourself completely to someone, and we often talk about sex as like giving yourself to someone completely, but it's not really giving yourself to someone completely. And that's why sex outside of marriage, John Paul II says, is being dishonest because your body is saying, I give you everything. I give you my fertility. I will unite my genetic code with you to create a new immortal soul in a physical body. That's what you're saying but you're lying about it. Your body's saying it, but you haven't actually committed to that person. And that's why even if you're engaged, sex is kind of this schizophrenic act where you're not actually committed, but your bodies are bonding to each other. So um, that was a long answer. All right, one more. A lot of people brought up uh, the LGBTQ population and trans people and how do we have a message for them when... Catholicism is very, very much about, you know, sex is reserved for marriage between one man and one woman committed publicly together forever. What if there's young gay people, young trans people in the chastity talk in the classroom? I want to refer to my friend, Peter Volk, who is, uh, been on this show when we talked about uh, Schitt's Creek and, uh, he's an LGBTQ Christian. He has really good stuff on this and something that he is really brilliant when he talks about, and is very much in line with what John Paul II has said, is that we as Christians miss a lot when it comes to the teaching on celibacy. Celibacy is not something that's just reserved for Jesus, not just reserved for St. Paul. It's supposed to be a real path, a beautiful life. And it's totally countercultural because our Modern Christ, our modern secular world says that like to have a spouse, that's where you real find, really find happiness. To find romance, that's like the true way to happiness. And you're condemning people to a life of 
of unhappiness and loneliness if they don't have a romantic partner, if they don't have sex. And the Christian view, and, and not just the Christian view of many different cultures and philosophies throughout the world, is that we are supposed to have, everyone is supposed to have intimacy. Everyone is supposed to have love and deep relationship. But most of the time that doesn't look like sex, okay? Most of the time, um, a lot of times what we're looking for in sex can be satisfied by other healthy relationships and friendships. And I've even seen this in my own marriage as our marriage has matured. A lot of times what I'm looking for in sex is just kind of like loneliness or insecurity in my own heart. And it can be satisfied in other ways. And if it's not satisfied in other ways, then I'm using my wife emotionally, as Sarah was talking about. It was, it would be a lack of emotional virtue if I was just using my wife, even though we're married, I was using her in an unchaste way to satisfy my own insecurities. And so I think that is a message for everyone. And it is especially for, from, from my, my gay friends and, and, and trans friends who are trying to um, live according to church teaching, that message that celibacy is a beautiful life with uh, vibrant with friends, if, if done right, um, that is something we as a church, I think, have not explored enough and we need to spend a lot more time doing because I think there are a lot of LGBTQ Christians who feel totally alone and like they have to choose between their desires and their heart and maybe even their identity and who they, who they feel like they are and their faith and God. And I don't think we have to, but I think, I don't think they have to. I don't think that's a real choice that you have to make. I think there is an authentic, beautiful, thriving celibate life in the church for LGBTQ people um, that they won't, that would be more beautiful than um, the approximations of sexual intercourse they might find through a relationship um, with someone of the same sex. Um, because that's really what the, the church is saying is not that a man shouldn't have sex with another man or a woman shouldn't have sex with another woman, but that what a man and a man do together to bring each other to orgasm or what a woman and a woman do to with each other together to bring each other to orgasm. It's not what a man and a woman can do. It's not the sort of total self gift. There's not that complementary union between their bodies. And it's not something that can lead to new life. It's not even designed to, to, to lead to new life. Um, it can't unite people. It can't unite two men and it can't unite two women in the way that a man and a woman can be united through that. Um, and so what the church is saying is not that you shouldn't get married, but that by definition, marriage is an impossibility unless it's between a man and a woman. And I know that that's, that's a hard teaching and I'm kind of glossing over it here. Uh, again, I would, I would point you to this, to the um, Schitt's Creek episode with, with Peter Volk. Uh, Cause he's someone from, from who is a, a gay Christian who I think can speak more from experience. I'm just speaking from my experience with my friends. Um, I think that's something that he can speak to much better. And he's just, he's just brilliant on it. I have a lot of respect for him. So shout out to Peter. Okay. So I know I probably <laughs> answered those very quickly and probably, um, inadequately for a lot of people. The last thing I want to say before we close, I know this is going a long time, is what we talked about with Sarah and Andrew, is none of this is meant to be a message of shame. Sometimes these messages can make us feel bad because we have some of us have done shameful things, but the core message of Christianity is not guilt for our sins, but freedom from our sins. And so if anything that we've brought up in this message has made you feel bad about yourself, has made you just know, look, I got my issues too. I'm not, I'm not, 
like I, I have a podcast and I'm a Catholic speaker because I'm good at talking about stuff. It's not because I'm like particularly holy at all. Like I got my own issues. Ask my wife. Like I'm not the holiest dude around. Okay. I don't speak any of this in judgment. Like I seriously, I got my own, my own stuff. Um, and we're all struggled with it. And I know if you're out here listening to some of this stuff has, has been really heavy on your heart and it's, it's making you feel judged or whatever. I just know that's not my intention. I love you and I'm praying for you. And I'm sorry if my words hurt you, that's not, not my intention. I'm just trying to do the best to, to speak um, the truth as I understand it as communicated by the church. I believe that Jesus loves you. I believe that God loves you. I believe that there's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. I believe that he's given us instructions through the church to help lead us, lead us to real thriving and real happiness. And uh, Lord, by the Holy Spirit, may we come to believe it. May we come to internalize it. May we come to live it. And Lord, one day, please lead us to your heavenly kingdom. We're called to live the kingdom here and now, but one day, Lord, lead us to that place all together with you. where We won't have to worry about this shit anymore. And we'll just all be with you in heaven. Sorry for the profanity, but just... Lord, I can't wait for that day. And I, I, I pray that one day everyone who's listening and hears my voice, that we'll all get to have a big party in heaven together. And we'll, all, all the tears and everything in this world will just be behind us and we'll all be one with the Lord. That's my prayer. So thank you for listening all the way to the end. If you're still here with us, the end of this very long episode, but I think it's important um, to talk about this stuff. So thanks for hanging with us. My name is Mike Tenney. I'm a Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. Uh, if you want to support this show, please send it to somebody. You can send a screenshot or just text it to them. And if uh, you really want to support the show, you can go to popculturecatechism.com and become a patron, pick one of the giving levels. You can also go to catholicmerch.store and buy some of the awesome swag that we have there. That all supports all the shows on Awaken Catholic. Um, and you can also download the Awaken Catholic app, which I think is getting a new name, but that all if you go to the Awaken Catholic website, uh, it has lots of cool stuff in the Awaken Catholic app. It's a hub for all the shows, but lots of prayer and music and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, and that's also where patrons get access to exclusive content, all the talks that I give in my speaking ministry and extra stuff um, from the show as well. So I especially want to thank our patrons, uh, Carl and Melissa Gore, Tom and Emily Cabariotti, uh, Jacqueline and Ryan Olivet, Bob and Lisa Tenney, Stephen Maggie Hubbard. Um, thank you so much to all of our patrons, Darren J. McCaffrey, uh, but especially those people who give a little bit more. Uh, and thank you for listening all the way to the end of this episode. <laughs> you guys are the real fans. I love you. God loves you more. We'll see you next time.